Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing today? Man, it was really nice this morning. I had to put on the hoodie and go out on the front porch and just let the the dog run. That that sun, when it shines, it's awful pretty. So uh, uh, hopefully that'll stick around with us for a little while. Hey, hey, I wanted to talk to you. The first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, the fact that my family, uh, we kind of like local establishments. We like local restaurants. That's kind of what we gravitate uh, towards. Even the place where we spend our vacations every summer, you know, it's just there's no chain restaurants there. It's all local. And so Versailles is kind of that way. There's not a lot of chains here. Uh, But there's a new place that just opened up, and you guys probably know about it. Uh, It's called the VBC or Versailles Brewing Company. Now, I want to make clear, they're not paying me to say this. I'm not advertising for them at all. I'm just telling you, it's a, it's a good place to get a decent meal. And uh, what I really like about it is uh, you can get uh, a nice steak for about 15 bucks. And, uh, and so you, you can tell by looking at me, I don't want to offend vegans, but I think steak is a gift from God. And so if you are a vegetarian, I apologize, uh, but you can probably tell by looking at my physique that I can't maintain this on salad. And so, uh, so I like steak. I like that restaurant, um, and you know, it, it's pretty popular. And uh, so I just wanted to, to talk about that a little bit today. It has, has not a whole lot to do with the sermon, but I just wanted to, to let you know that, uh, that it's a neat place. You might want to check it out. And so in this uh, series, this uh, series, Like Jesus, uh, we're going to continue on with that today. And uh, again, we like Jesus, that's, that's obvious, uh, but we want to try to equip you and we want to be more like Jesus. And so that's the point uh, of this sermon is how we can learn to follow his example and follow his, his pattern. And so we're preaching from John chapter 17. And uh, that's what uh, a lot of people call the high priestly prayer. It's when Jesus prayed for his disciples, and he prayed for us. He prayed for believers, both past and present and future. And so it's a very powerful chapter, uh, so you might want to maybe follow along with that, because we're going to be in this series for several more weeks. And so before we get started, and I kind of wanted to set the scene of, of where and how this has taken place. And so this is a very specific time and place in Jesus' ministry. See, Jesus had just revealed a lot of information to his followers in the upper room during the Last Supper. And so and then the, the Bible tells us that they, they withdrew from that. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, now get up and let's leave this place. And so it's a simple uh, verse. But they left the, the place of the, of the Last Supper and they headed down uh, Elevation-wise, they headed down to what's called uh, the Spring Gate, or what's called the Water Gate. It's got nothing to do with the hotel in D.C., but it's the Water Gate. It's actually close to, to where a spring fed what was called the Pool of Siloam. And that was one of the two water sources uh, for the city of Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. And so they headed down towards that gate. I've got a picture here that I want to show you. And uh, this was taken, I've showed these before, this was taken in Jerusalem, and it was at the Israeli Museum. This is a model of first century uh, Jerusalem, and it's said to be uh, pretty accurate based on uh, historic uh, documents that are written by Josephus. And, uh, and so a lot of things, a lot of archaeological evidence tells them that, that Josephus' writings, that his, 
historic record was pretty accurate. And so I wanted to point this out. I think my pointer will work. Yeah, it does. Good. I never tested that, so I had faith. So. Uh, but the upper room would have been located up somewhere in this area of Jerusalem. This is Solomon's porch. It's part of the Temple Mount. And so just to kind of get your bearings, this, this thing that kind of looks like a tongue is the old city of David. And so the upper room is in this area. And I want to point something else out too. Look at the difference between the buildings here. Okay, so on the upper part of the picture, uh, that would have been kind of the good side of the tracks. I mean, that was where the rich people lived. That was kind of the opulent side of town. These smaller buildings here, this is the other side of the tracks. And this is where, you know, the common people would have lived. And so the socioeconomic divide in Jerusalem was stark. There was just a hard line between the haves and the have-nots. And so up in this northern part, these larger buildings, that's where something like uh, Herod's palace was located. This, this opulent layout, I mean, with pitched roofs. He really liked his, his baths, and so he collected rainwater in the pools. And so also the Caiaphas house, which is not really Caiaphas' house. That's what they call it uh, today, the location today. But it's kind of like the high priest's office because the high priest served for one year. Uh, but Caiaphas' house is where Jesus was most likely judged. And so if you'll see right here, you kind of see a line between the buildings. That's actually a road. And that's probably the road that Jesus and his disciples walked down uh, to what was called the Watergate right in about right here. Now this, this valley that cuts across is called the Kidron Valley. And that's where Jesus crossed over as he made his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so where I took this picture in relation to the model, where I would have been standing in reality is on the top of the Mount of Olives, looking down in the Kidron Valley. And the Garden of Gethsemane is off out of the picture here to the right, right in front of the Temple Mount, kind of on the foothills of the Mount of Olives. And so that's the trek Jesus and his disciples were going to take as he went to the Garden of Gethsemane that night before the crucifixion and he prayed his earnest prayers. And so Jesus walked down this, this road. Uh, actually, I actually have another picture I want to, want to put up here, if I could. This is uh, a very interesting place. This is up close to where that upper room is, is said to have been. And uh, these are actual first century stones. Now, there's very few places in Israel where they can say that Jesus, we know that Jesus actually walked there. Because that Jerusalem was conquered and, and rebuilt so many times, to get down to first century, you have to dig about 30 feet. But in this location, this is the actual road that Jesus and his disciples walked on as they went down toward uh, that water gate. And so that was, uh, I just wanted to share what, that with you. It's an interesting picture. Again, just a few places in Israel where you can say that. And so last week, Randy started talking about these uh, seven statements that Jesus made, these seven words that he spoke. And uh, the first one was, uh, I revealed you to them. Where Jesus is praying, he, he's, he's, he's past that water gate, and he, he walks across the Kidron Valley, and there's two valleys that converge there, and there's said to be a vineyard there. And it's kind of neat because that's where Jesus stopped and taught about the vines and the branches. Right there in the vineyard. And so it, it, it's kind of neat to even think that. So he, someone said that he was very intentional. He was making his way, but he couldn't help but stop and teach one more lesson to his followers. 
And so after he had taught the vine and the branches, and they continue on, Jesus stops and he starts praying for his disciples. And so he makes these seven statements. One, I revealed them to you. Randy talked about that last week. And uh, he said, I gave the words to you. I gave your words to them. In other words, I spoke the words that you spoke to me. And then he said, I pray for those that you've given me. And he said, I protected those that you've given me. And I sent them into the world. It says, like sheep amongst the wolves to, to, to spread your word. He said, I sanctified myself. In other words, he said, I made myself holy so that they could be made holy, so that they could be sanctified. And then he said, I share my glory with them so they can share it with the world. And so very powerful statements. I call these the seven I statements that Jesus made. And uh, I don't call them that. Other people do, but I, I agree with it. And so, so to kind of go over that, what Jesus is saying is, is I revealed them to you so you can reveal. We, we can reveal the Lord to the people around us. We can also speak into their, their hearts. We can speak the words that God's given us into other people. We can pray for the people that are willing uh, to listen to us. And we can protect them. We can watch out for kind of bad things that are going on in each other's lives. And we can send other people out. That's kind of the whole point. The reason we need to pour our lives into other people is so they can go out and they can do the same thing. And we can make ourselves holy. We have to make ourselves holy. That sounds maybe sanctimonious, and that's the word, sanctify. That's not really what it means, because you cannot produce something in someone else that you're not. Amen. And so we need to make ourselves holy so that other people can be made holy. And then we need to share the glory of God with other people. So they can do the same. And so these seven I statements, just as Randy presented last week, these are kind of seven disciplines of effective disciple making. And Jesus lived those out in his whole ministry and his entire life. See, Jesus, I think, shared all these things with his disciples so that they would have the tools to do the same thing in his absence as he's going to be leaving them in just a little while. And so last week, Randy shared with us that Jesus said that he had revealed God to his followers. In John 17, verses 6 and 7, it says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. And this week, we're going to be talking about the next verse in chapter, eight, in chapter 17, verse 8, where Jesus said, For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Jesus spoke the words that God gave him into the lives of his followers. So today, the word we're going to be talking about is speak. And that is how we can speak into the lives of other people, just like Jesus did with his followers. So how did God give his word to Jesus? Now, I think there's several ways, and I wanted to go over a few of these things. Just by studying the life of Christ, we can learn that God gave Jesus his words, one, through prayer. We're going to talk about that more next week. But generally, we know that a lot of the steps that Jesus took were preceded in prayer. I've talked about that a lot, but it's true. Jesus prayed a lot. 
Sometimes those prayer sessions lasted for hours. Sometimes they were overnight. And so I believe that God spoke to Jesus through prayer. And now Jesus is speaking to his disciples through prayer in this very example that we're talking about. And you know, when when we talk about in this world, we talk about Jesus speaking to us through prayer, the world sometimes calls us crazy. And you know, I'll give you an example, and it doesn't matter about your politics, but our vice president, Mike Pence, he had stated in an interview that he had that, that Jesus spoke to him through prayer. And the world called him crazy. Actually, it was Joy Behar who called him crazy, but the world agrees with that today. And so the world calls us crazy, but guess what? They called Jesus crazy. His own brothers at one point thought he was insane. But just because the world and the culture thinks that doesn't mean it's true. Jesus talks to us. Jesus speaks to us through prayer. I, I, can, I can vouch for that. I can't say that I've heard this audible voice, but Jesus has made himself known to me through prayer. That's just true. And so we need to consider that. We need to know that. But God gave Jesus these words through prayer. I also think that God gave Jesus these words through the Holy Spirit. I love what the prophet Isaiah says, and this is a messianic prophecy. That means that this is, this is the Old Testament uh, talking about Jesus. This is the Old Testament pointing towards the Messiah, which we know as Jesus. It says this in chapter 11. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The Apostle John says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. And in the book of Luke it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led into the Spirit, uh, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know what that really is translated to say is he was thrust into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And then he was there for 40 days, and when the devil tempted him, and the Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted like us in every way. But when the devil tempted him, it was God's words that he used to repel those attacks. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God talked to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we got the Holy Spirit in us too. We've got these same things that Jesus had available to him. You know, when I was putting this together, I ran across a quote from a guy by the name of uh, Brother Michael Jacob. And he is an evangelist in India. And and the gospel, by the way, is exploding in India. The, The word of Christ is growing. It's spreading there like crazy. And guess what? It's illegal to be a Christian in India. You risk everything. But the gospel is growing because of, I think, evangelists like this who are listening the God's word. But this quote is something that I wrote down, I'm hanging on to, because I think it's just steep with truth. It says, Jesus lived, thought, worked, taught, conquered sin, and won victories for God in the power of the Holy Spirit. It is also our privilege to have the same spirit. How much we should depend on the spirit of God. Jesus is our pattern, as stated in 1 John 2, 6. Those that claim to abide in him ought to walk as Jesus walked. 
Whatever he, Jesus, realized through the Holy Spirit is for us to realize today. Amen? I also think Jesus received God's word through the Holy Scripture. Through the word. Jesus had the word. And we've got it today. Now Jesus didn't have the New Testament. He was writing that with his life at the time. But Jesus had the Holy Torah. Jesus had the the first handful of books in the Old Testament. See, there's something we need to really come to grips with and understand. I think we need to study this more. Jesus was a Jewish man. Jesus was a Jewish man. I remember I was taught that when I was younger, but it was almost followed with an apology. Like that somehow it was wrong that Jesus was Jewish. And I know it wasn't really intended that way, but Jesus not only was a Jewish man, folks, but Jesus was a practicing Jew. Jesus uh, had just left with his disciples a Passover meal, a Seder meal that was celebrating the Jewish holiday, a Jewish festival. And so all the things that he did and all the things that he said during that time were because he was a practicing Jew. And, and people understood that when they saw him. He spoke as a rabbi. He spoke as a teacher. Jews are God's chosen people. Now, not all of them have accepted him, but it says there's a remnant that will, and so it doesn't set that aside. But if, when we understand the Jewishness of Jesus, then the things that he said and the thing he taught will come into sharper focus because that's the, the viewpoint from how he spoke. There's a, uh, you know, he, he learned scripture. There's no doubt in my mind about it. The Bible says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And so as young boys, as they reached manhood, when they got to that 12-year-old stage, their bar mitzvah age, they were expected to know the Torah. And some of the best students could recite it. Now, I'm not talking about just cherry-picking verses to match, you know, kind of a situation. They could literally recite the whole thing, the whole five books of the Torah. And they knew it cold. And so was Jesus that type of student? Yeah. Was Jesus, Jesus was a man, there's no doubt about that, but Jesus, I think, was also a good student. In Psalms, another messianic prophecy, it says, the zeal for your father's house will consume me. That's Jesus. And so when they went to the temple, when they went to God's house, they studied the Holy Torah. That they learned it. And so, was Jesus a good student? Yeah, I'd say he was an A-plus student because he had a zealousness. He had a hunger. He had a thirst for that knowledge to learn the words of his Father. And he gives us that example. Are we supposed to be theologians? Not all of us, but we are supposed to be scholars of the Bible. We are supposed to attempt to read that. We are supposed to put that in our lives. And not only are we supposed to consume it, but I think the scripture is clear. We're supposed to apply that in our daily living. And so Jesus had that word. You know, in the, the Jewish traditions, there's a, uh, there's a recitation called the Shema. And uh, the Shema, Shema means, if it's translated, it means listen. It means listen to this. And so they would say this Shema uh, during the morning. Some of them do. A lot of Jews do this today. They, they say this before their morning and their evening scheduled prayers. But they also have a prayer that they recite just before they say the Shema. 
And it's, uh, it goes something like this. It says, Oh, put into our hearts to understand and to discern, to mark, learn, and teach, to heed, to do, and to fulfill in love all of the words of the instruction in thy Torah. Then it's followed uh, with the Shema. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then they would recite in undertones, Blessed is the name of his glorious kingdom forever and ever. See, Jesus is God, but he was also a Jewish man who came to fulfill the Torah, to fulfill God's word, and he did that perfectly. But a lot of people really weren't listening, and a lot of the Pharisees of the day accused him of trying to set aside what's written in the Torah, to set aside the law. But Jesus made it pretty clear in his statements that that wasn't his purpose, and that wasn't the case. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says this, For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and whoever teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now see, Jesus' tone here, Jesus was sounding a lot like a rabbi. Jesus was sounding like a teacher because uh, the rabbis, it was their job to interpret and teach the Torah. And you know that first statement, for truly I tell you, that's called a Shema statement. What he's saying is listen. Listen close to this. Sometimes when you say Shema, Shema, that means listen really close. Pay close attention. And so he's, 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 he's asking people, turn your attention on what I'm about to say. That's rabbinical. He's, he's being a teacher. It was the rabbi's job, again, not only to, to teach but the Torah, but to interpret the Torah. And then to show people how that they could apply what the, the concepts of the Torah into their daily living. And you know, back then, if a rabbi was accused of misinterpreting the Scripture, he could be accused of nullifying the law. That, that's actually when they would have a disagreement. When the rabbis would disagree, they would accuse one another of trying to nullify the law by misinterpretation of the Torah. So Jesus is stating that even the most finite detail, that, if, that none of that is going to be set aside. Because if it was, it would be the same as nullifying the law, of nullifying what the Bible was teaching. See, Jesus was saying that he didn't come to abolish the law. He was saying he came to fulfill it and to bring to light God's plan for the people and how to live according to his word. See, the Pharisees at the time, they were dealing with the minimum. They were dealing... With, with just what it took to get by. Kind of like the, the Pharisees, for example, they interpreted murder as the physical act of killing someone. You know, you could hate somebody all day long, just don't kill them. But see, Jesus dealt in the maximum. Jesus said that just hating someone, just having hate in your heart means you've already murdered them. And so they were dealing with the minimum. Jesus was dealing with the maximum. And you know, the Pharisees, they said the physical act of adultery 
was to sin. That's the minimum. Jesus said just having that impure thought about someone else it is the sin. And so that's the maximum. And so see, Jesus couldn't be accused of minimizing the law. Jesus was in the process of maximizing the law. Bringing it to its fullest. And that was Jesus' purpose. Jesus said that not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen by any means will disappear uh, from the word. You, in other words, not the most microscopic detail of the word will fade away. You know, the King James Version, instead of least stroke of a pen or smallest letter, it says jot or tittle. And so just a different play in words. And you know, the Hebrew alphabet, the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet is called the yod. And I think I've got a picture of that up here. It's kind of like a large apostrophe. And uh, what they did in, that, in the early times in that first century is they added that, that bottom part. They call that a hook. Or they call that just, just a, a, a stroke. And so that was added thousands of years ago. But, but the, 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 the yod and even its embellishment, it, it survives today. It lasts today. See, most languages change over time. Sometimes they say languages have changed so much that, that the later generations don't even recognize the original version of it. But, but the interesting thing is the Hebrew language is perfectly preserved. Thousands of years old, generation after generation, and it's the same. I know you guys have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so these were scrolls found at the beginning of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, at a place called Qumran, which is just north of the Dead Sea, not too far away from where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. And so the story is, is they found these, these scrolls encased in clay urns. And those were put there by, by a group called the Essenes. They were scribes. And when, when Jerusalem was being uh, laid siege to, they snuck these documents, these scrolls out, sealed them in these, these urns so that they would be preserved. And they put them in these caves on these cliffs in these, these mountains in Qumran. And these little shepherd boys found these, these, these urns. I, I, that's kind of hard for me to understand because we were there. We looked, It was sheer cliffs. But you know what? It was kind of neat because when we were on the Wadi Kelt, not too far from there, we saw Bedouin boys, maybe nine, ten years old, tending sheep on these sheer cliffs. And so that's exactly how they found these, these couple of thousand years later. And so when the archaeologists and the, the and the theologians opened these urns and they unrolled the scrolls, they could read them. They could read them. It was perfect Hebrew. And so isn't that interesting that Jesus said nothing would fade away? That makes the statements that Jesus made in the book of Matthew prophetic. Because God's word doesn't change. Jesus said a lot of times in his ministry, it's not me. It's not my words. It's the Father who speaks through me. Jesus said, it's not by my power, but it's through the power of of the Father. In these verses, Jesus is saying, the words that I'm speaking aren't my words, but the words God the Father gave me, and that's what I'm giving to you. Jesus spoke to his followers about what God was teaching him. 
God was communicating his words to Jesus and he was teaching them through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the ordinance of prayer, and through the scriptures that were recorded for him. That's what he gave to his disciples. See, we've got those same resources that are available to us today. God wants to speak into your lives. God, I'll say that again. God wants to speak into your lives. The reason he wants to do that is because he calls us to speak his word into the lives of other people. I love Jake's description when he was doing our impact for our offering of the church. You know, when he's talking about the church, he's not talking about this building. He's not talking about the logo out in the lobby. He's talking about you. Everything that we do here, and we're not perfect, but everything that we do here, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're staff or whatever, we're trying to do because we want to equip you to do the work that God has given us to do. Our mission here is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. We want to do that because we love God with all of our heart and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And we love people and we want to help make disciples that make disciples. That's what Journey Church is all about. And so we're here for that purpose and that purpose alone. When you give to the church, those resources are used for that. Yes, we have missions and we go overseas, but we also love this community and the people that are right around us. Each one of you have people in your circle of influence, people that you can spend time with, that you can pour your life into. I said earlier that Jesus, for the first 18 months of his ministry, that's all he did. He built relationships with the people that wanted to follow him. Not only with them, but with their families. And he did that so that we can have the model to do the same. You know, I started this process. There's a group of, of people in the church right now that are trying to do this. Meet with, with people on a one-on-one level. And, and encourage them to do the same thing with others. And there's some pretty crazy, powerful stuff that's going on because of that. And that's how God's kingdom is going to grow when we interact with the people around us. See, these these seven I statements that Jesus made, Jesus lived those out with his disciples. He set the pattern for us. He calls us to make disciples that make disciples, to speak to people about the things that God's teaching us on a daily basis. You know, I started out talking about a restaurant. And you know, the reason I did that is because the word's getting out. If you try to go to that place on a, on a weekend night, you better go early. Because people are talking about it. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what our county would look like if we got as excited about telling people about Jesus as we do about a restaurant? Can that not get... That, that tears me up. That gets me pumped up. Gets me excited. But you know, if we did that... This, this place would be unrecognizable. And folks, we want to help you do that. We want to talk about Jesus. 
Imagine how this place would be packed out. Imagine how all the churches in this community would be packed out. Imagine what it would look like. Think about that. Pray about that as you go about your business this week. How the kingdom could grow around us. If we can take these disciplines that Jesus lived out so perfectly and apply them in our daily lives. If you're here today and you haven't accepted Christ, if you haven't taken that first step on your journey, then we would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you. There's no reason to wait. I was thinking about that this morning uh, because we always think, well, there's always tomorrow. I've even heard, well, at least there's next year. But we don't know that. We have no clue. So if you're here and you haven't accepted Jesus, please don't waste another day. You might not have it. I don't know. I can't guarantee anything. I'm going to be standing up here as the last song's played. Uh, Come on up. Let's talk. Let's just have a conversation. Catch me before you leave. Uh, Any one of us, just, just let us know. We would love to help you take that next step. Now, if you're here and... Maybe you realize you're, you're really not living that out. You're really not pouring into the lives of other people. We would love to, to come alongside you as well, too, and help you in that process. We're not perfect at it. We're learning a lot ourselves. But we'd love to include you. I'll be standing up here, too. If you've got something going on in your life that's, a, that's, that's really a pain, if there's just stuff that's going on that's really troubling you, or if you just want to come up and sing with me, I'm going to be standing up here. I don't really want to be up here alone, so come on up and let's worship God together. I don't care if half of you, if all of you, come up and do that as we stand up here and finish out our services. Would you all pray with me as we prepare to go back into worship? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for today. I thank you for the beauty of this world that you, uh, that you give to us as a gift and enjoy. And God, thank you for your plan. Thank you for the pattern that you've given for us, this perfect pattern. So that we can learn how to be relational, to be intentional like you. To not waste a minute of our day as our time is limited, just like it was for you, Jesus, when you were walking on this earth. Lord, we just uh, stand in awe of you today. We dedicate, dedicate today to you as a time of worship. And I pray that as we leave here in the, in the Spirit and in the power of the Holy Spirit, that that would carry through with us, not just today, and not just to the evening dinner, but through Monday and through the rest of the week. Lord, rest in us, convict us with your spirit. It's in your holy name that I pray. Amen.